Please be seated. Let's pray. Father, we come here this morning to be still in your presence. Father, we come here this morning to just take a deep breath and to see you as our God, as our creator, as our savior, as our redeemer. Father, if we, when we wake up in the morning, if we see you as who you are, as the God who created us, sustains us, and drives us forward towards a better life, then, Father, our lives will be different, our lives will be changed. Father, one of the ways that we can do that is to be able to admit that you are God and that we are not. To be able to go to you and ask for forgiveness for any sin or struggle or issue or thing that's holding us back. So we're just going to take a moment right now, each of us individually, just go to you and ask you to forgive anything that's in our lives. Let's just do that right now, each of us individually, just for a moment. Father, forgive us of those things, Lord, and we just thank you that we are able to enjoy your presence in our lives, that we are able to know you and to have relationship with you, that, Father, we don't have to live our lives wondering about how things are going to work and the struggles and the problems of our world, but, Father, that we can trust in you, Lord, and allow ourselves to lean on you, Lord, so that we may grow and so that we may be the person that you created us to be. Father, many days when we wake up, we look in the mirror, we don't see that person. But Father, we thank you that you have given us the power, that you have allowed us to take that step to be that person. Father, we pray this morning that you would just send the Holy Spirit into our lives, um, into our hearts to dwell within us, Father, and to, to give us the strength that we need to live for you. Father, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. finest road paving machine ever built. I'm hereby sentencing you to community service. You're gonna fix the road under my supervision. What? This place is crazy. Hey, and I know this might be a bad time right now, but uh, you owe me $32,000 in legal fees. What? So we're gonna hit you up to Sweet Bessie and you're gonna pull her nice. You gotta be kidding me. You start there where the road begins, you finish down there where the road ends. Holy shoot! Whoa, whoa, whoa! How long is this gonna take? Well, fella does it right, should take him about five days. Five days? But I should be in California schmoozing Dynaco right now! Then if I were you, I'd quit yapping and start working. Hook him up, Mater. Okie dokie. <laughs> Maybe I should have uh, hooked him up to Bessie and then, uh, then took the boot off. For many of us, we live our lives or really are tempted to live our lives that way, right? I mean, anytime we have a problem in our lives, anytime we have a struggle in our lives, um, we, the boot comes off and we just make a run for it as hard as we can, a lot of times in the wrong direction. Well, today we're going to be talking about that in our new mini-series that we're doing. Um, as we see in the movie clip, we see the temptation at times um, to run wild, and this is applicable and really true for those of us who are believers. And in fact, today um, I'm going to be talking to those of you who are Christians, those of you who are believers who have committed your life, um, because even us, I mean, especially us, you would say, especially us, we... Uh, face times in our lives where we are tempted to run in the opposite direction of God's will. And so today we're going to be talking about this um, in our new mini-series, which is Testing the Limits. I really was uh, thinking about this over the last several weeks and last several months. 
what does it really mean when we are following God's will in our lives? And what happens to kind of derail us from, from God's will? What happens in our lives that derail us and push us away from God, or in fact, sometimes that we are tempted to pursue in the wrong direction? So the, our two-week mini-series is really going to ask this question, how far is too far uh, when we go through life and as we encounter things, where are the fences that we should stay within? Where are the boundaries that we should stay within um, in our world? Now, this is especially applicable and pointed to people who are believers, and I'll tell you why. is because a lot of times in the church, we get this idea um, that because we have relationship with God and we're forgiven, um, that then we can really do whatever we want to. So I just Googled permissiveness in our culture, and this came up like first or second. Um, this is an article about God as the great permissive dude in the sky who lets us do whatever we want, right? And that's sort of true, but not really. I mean, it's sort of true from our Christian culture, because from our culture, uh, even in the church, we know as believers that we're forgiven, right? And so then we think, well, then what should we do? And if you've been in church for a while, you know that I can go and do most anything, and I still am a Christian, and Jesus still died for me. So why not live like a hellion? Why not party like it's 1999 every single day of the week, right? Because Jesus still died for me, right? Or is there more to it than that? And in fact, we can ask this question. I mean, is God just this great permissive dude in the sky that is willing to forgive us of every single thing, no matter what it is? Where are the limits? And are there limits? Well, this is a question I wanted to ask. I was pretty excited about this series, even though it's going to be a short one, because I wanted to, to, to really deal with this issue of, of where are the limits, how far is too far in our relationship with God as we live and as we go through the world. See, this is the problem. The problem is, is that when someone comes to me and they say, okay, pastor, I'm tired of fighting. I am not going to struggle against God anymore. I'm going to commit my life to him. I'm going to turn over my life to Jesus, and I'm going to trust in him in faith. And then we pray. It's exciting. It's awesome. And then a few weeks later, invariably, the question comes up of, what do I do now? Am I supposed to go to Vegas with my friends or not? Am I supposed to do A or am I supposed to do B? What usually happens in that situation? And this is the struggle that we have. Either the person eventually gets into a permissive mindset where they just do anything, right? Or they seek out a church or an organization who tells them what to do every step of the way, right? How long your dress hemline has to be, right? For the ladies, guys, you have to wear certain things like a tie or this or that or the other, right? And so the problem is, is that the limit, though, is somewhere in between those. It's not that God says, go do whatever you want to now that you're a believer. That's not it at all. But it's not supposed to be man-made rules that we create just to arbitrarily throw up some fences, as we're going to talk about in a minute, to try to constrain us and try to keep us in. So here's our strategy. Today we're going to look at setting up the boundaries, okay? We're just going to look at some of the big picture things. We're going to set up some big parameters to try to get our heads and minds and hearts and souls wrapped around this idea of what it means to understand God's limits for our lives. Now, we need to start with this idea of sin, because today we're going to talk a little bit about this issue of sin. We've talked about it a little bit in the past, um, but we're going to talk about it in a little bit more detail today, and it's really critical that if we miss this idea of what sin is, then you'll miss the whole point of the message today. Okay, so sin is not doing what is wrong. That's not sin. Okay, sorry, <clears throat> not, not it, okay? The thing is, is that in our, in, our, in our culture, you know, as we go through our world, if we see the word sin, if we're reading People Magazine or Newsweek or something like that, we see the word sin, they use it to mean that somebody did something wrong. Sort of in the Entertainment Tonight, Access Hollywood, uh, Jerry Springer sort of way, right? That's what they mean when they use the word sin, okay? The thing is, though, is that that's not the way the Bible defines that word. Sin is anything outside of God's guidelines for your life. Okay, so if you go outside of God's guideline for your life, then that is what the Bible calls sin. So let's look at some sins. Sin is forgetting to pray or read the Bible. That would be a sin, okay, because that would be outside of God's guideline for your life. Uh, sin is not giving to those in need. Sin is having an affair, 
Okay, that's a classic one. I put that one in the middle because we all know that one's a sin, right? Um, meaning that, you know, that would be one, okay, if we had to take a test. Yeah, we know that one, right? What about being hateful or jealous of coworkers, right? That would be sinful also, too. And so much more because sin is anything that's outside of God's perfect plan for your life. That's what sin is. Okay, now it's important we understand this idea because we're going to talk about sin and we're going to talk about the limits that God has for us. And if we keep thinking of sin as doing wrong, we'll never understand the limits that God has put in place for our lives. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 1, 13, and 16 through 21. Um, you're welcome to follow along with me in your Bibles or you can, this will be up on the big screen as well. Galatians chapter 5, um, 1, 13, 16 through 21. Let's look at this real quickly. All right, here's Paul speaking, and he starts with, so Christ has, tru Christ has truly set us free. And this is something that we've been talking about over the last few weeks and last few months, the arc that we've been going through, because we've been talking about Christ as being the substitute or being the sacrifice in our lives, right? That when we turn our life over to God, that, that he is the one who becomes a substitute. He takes all of our mistakes and all of our sins on his back, um, and he has set us free from our past. But don't use your freedom, Paul continues, to satisfy your sinful nature, right? See, that's the problem. We now say, okay, we're free from our past. Woohoo! Let's be like Lightning McQueen and just run for it. Make a, make a break for it, right? We'll just go and do whatever we want to, right? Because God has died for us, and so we're good, right? We can do whatever we want to right now. But Paul says, don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing... Oh, by the way, it doesn't say... Let your pastor guide your lives. It doesn't say, let the rules and regulations of your church guide your lives. It doesn't say, let your television evangelist guide your lives. It doesn't say, let culture guide your lives, right? Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature, remember the brokenness, the rebellion, wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. When you follow desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. And then here Paul lists some, okay? So Paul's listing is not saying, hmm, you know what? Chuck must be impurity, right? This is not a category. Paul just gives some examples to get us thinking about Big picture, big fence things we're going to be talking about later this, this morning and then next week. So, oh wait, I didn't, I didn't go far enough, sorry. Um, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. All right, so we're going to break this down real quickly here this morning. We're going to look at big picture issues. First of all, um, first idea, and if you have a hand, you got a handout in your bulletin, you're welcome to follow along with me. Um, but the first idea is that we are truly free from our past. And this is something we've been developing over the last few months um, through our series arc uh, here. Um, but we are truly free from our past. The thing is, is that one of the things that's hardest for people who come into the church to realize is that Christ really did die for them and that no matter what they've done, that God is willing to forgive them if they are willing to come and have, by faith, relationship to God. So it doesn't matter what they've done, that if they're willing to say, okay, God, I'm willing to, I'm going to put all my cards on the table, I want you to forgive me, then he is willing to do it no matter what it is. People will say, well, you don't know what I've done, Pastor. I don't care. I don't want to know what you've done. God already knows what you've done, and he's willing to forgive that if you are willing to put your sins and ask forgiveness, put them on the table, and say, God, take these away from me. When we choose to follow Jesus, he sacrifices for us, right? I mean, when we choose to follow him, then at that point in time, he takes all of our sinfulness, all of our burdens, all the things that entangle us and keep us from God's perfect plan, he takes them on his back, right? He is the sacrifice, as we talked about last couple weeks, he is the substitute for us. Now, here's the problem, though, that comes in here, because this is what happens. Like I mentioned a second ago, invariably, we come to a point in time where we realize that, okay, Christ has died for me. And so, therefore, anything I do, he is going to forgive. Sort of, right? 
So then the question comes is, do we just live as if whatever we do, he'll forgive, and that's just the way it is, and that's the way we should? Or should we live another way? Should we live differently? Should we try to live in a way that honors him or that somehow limits what we do wrong? When we choose to follow Jesus, he sacrifices for us. A lot of times when people come to BBC, um, because the area, we have lots of people come in, you know, they come in, they have a bad thing in their life, they're looking for sort of a, a, a bolt, uh, I guess, or like a shot in the arm of faith, you know, and then when they get the shot, then I don't see them again, I call them, and they're like, oh, yeah, well, okay, right? And, but one of the things they do, they come in, right, and they need that encouragement, they need that shot in the arm, right? And what they'll do is a lot of times they'll come in, and when, at the end of the service, I'll say, hey, if you want to know God, if you want to have a relationship with him, just raise your hand, you know, something like that, right? And the first week, they're there, uh, right? They're there. And then the second week, and then the third week, and then every week, they're writing on their card, rededicate, 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 and that sort of thing, right? And the way I was raised growing up at church, you know, I used to be taught that, okay, you only have to make a decision one time for Jesus, right? Because Jesus only came, he, he came and was a sacrifice for us, and we just trusted him at one point in time, and that puts us right with God, right? And that's true. But here's the thing I also have found as I've gone around the world and experienced different cultures, different people, is that the bigger issue seems to be those of us who are believers who have made a one-time commitment to the Lord and then who are doing what? Driving around like Lightning McQueen, right, does. We're just running around, ignoring God's, God's fences and just doing whatever we want to, right? So my thinking has actually changed because I actually prefer those people who come in now and raise their hand every Sunday for salvation and mark on their card, rededicate every Sunday. Why? Because I know that they have a certain fear of the Lord that they're still trying to obtain, right? A certain fear, a certain idea, a certain desire, a certain relationship they're trying to obtain. The ones that worry me are those who say, well, I raised my hand in church 10 years ago. I'm good, pastor. I'm good, Right? But see, that's the temptation because we know if we've been in church long enough and we've made that commitment, we know that it's a one-time decision, that we commit our lives to Jesus, right? And we don't have to keep making commitments over and over again because that commitment that we made was the perfect commitment. That was the covenant. That's what made and allowed Jesus to be a sacrifice for us. But if we just make it as simple as that, then the temptation is to kind of just Hey, Friday I had a really bad day at work, so Vegas, here I come, baby, right? Right? Now I'm picking on Vegas this week, but because our temptation is to just run for the hills whenever there's a problem, because we know that we're good with God. But, 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 let's talk about that but, because it's a big one. All right. Our newfound freedom can tempt us to indulge in sin. Go quickly here because we've covered this also. But that's what happens, right? When we realize that Christ has died for us, it's very easy for us to then say, okay, if I cheat on my taxes, I still go to heaven, so why not get some more money back while I'm at it, right? Sounds good, right? Okay, I know that those of you are, that are laughing are not guilty, right? And those of you that are not laughing, now I'm worried about you, okay? right? Our newfound freedom can tempt us to indulge in sin, but we have to figure out where the limits is. Now, again, one thing that we'll talk about later this week and next week is the fact that for many of us, when we become a brand new Christian, we oftentimes don't know where the limits are. I mean, does God want me to do this? Does God want me to do that? Hey, they're having a party at work, um, and you know, my wife's not going, but I'm invited, and uh, I know there's going to be you know, lots of drinking and maybe some other things under the table. Should I go, Pastor? Well, unfortunately, there's not a rule book by which I can say yes or no. And by the way, that's not my call anyway, because who guides you in your life? Holy Spirit, right? So our newfound freedom can tempt us to indulge in sin because the problem is, is that we don't always know where the fence is or the boundaries are. Let's talk about this. We fight sin in our everyday lives. This is the issue, right? Paul says this. Um... He says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature, remember, not doing wrong, but all that part of you that's broken and rebellious against God. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. 
And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires, right? So here's the thing. What happens next is when we become a believer is what? Peace, love, and harmony? No, right? The leftover sin and God's Spirit is like cats and dogs fighting in our lives, right? That's what it is. That's a funny photo. You get the first service, they laughed for five minutes. You know, and the funny thing about this photo is I have a cat. And let's say cats represent evil, okay? I can say that, right? Those of you dog people, you'll agree. The thing is, is that this is actually a spiritually true photo. I thought about this after, after I put it in my message because this is like the Holy Spirit, right? The dog, the good, right? And this is like the cat, the evil, right? And the thing is, is that the Holy Spirit does have a death grip on our sinful nature, right? It's going to be defeated. Our sinful nature is going to be defeated, it's going to be destroyed, but it still fights and fights and fights. Listen, here's the thing. The Bible gives this viewpoint of us before we become a believer. If a person is not a believer in Christ, there is no spiritual conflict in their lives. Did you know that? There is no spiritual conflict in their lives. You know why? Because they're all, because a person who is not a believer, all of their time and all of their day is devoted to pleasing who? Themselves. Even if that means to please someone else, <laughs> it's still them pleasing themselves through someone else. There is no spiritual conflict. When they wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning and have to get ready for work, yeah, they conflict over whether to go back to bed and you know, get a few more minutes of sleep and just be late and, and just curse out the boss under their, under their breath or get, to early so they, get there early so they can show up their, 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 their co-employees, right, their peers. Yeah, there's, there's conflict, but there's no spiritual conflict because that person that is not a believer is just living for themselves. But what happens when a person becomes a believer? The Bible says that a conflict starts in their life and rages every day that they're alive. Now, here's the funny thing. How many of you like conflict? Raise your hand. If, well, no, let me put it this way. Let's do it the other way. If you don't like conflict, raise your hand. If you don't like conflict, raise your hand. Okay, most of you are lying. Because oh, between 60 or 80% of you hate conflict with every part of your being. And you will resist it every possibility. I know that because personality studies show that most people, the vast majority, are afraid of conflict. There are a few people like me who have sadistic personalities who relish conflict. But that's my own brokenness, and we'll deal with that in another series, right? But the most people, and it's not that I relish it, it's just that it, if conflict occurs, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. The thing is, though, is that most of you, 60, 80% of you at least, fear conflict. You will avoid it at any cost. Why'd you become a Christian? <laughs> That's the question that people ask me. Because they'll say, Pastor, I was happy not being a Christian. I was happy because there was no spiritual conflict in my life. I just lived for myself. And now that I became a Christian, I have tons of conflict. But that conflict is good. Why? Because it's getting, well, we see here, the Holy Spirit has taken hold of our sinful nature and beaten it down, which is a good thing. You know, I have uh, two friends of mine that have shared some stories from them in the past, but two friends of mine, <clears throat> um, and they became believers in Jesus around the age of 50. And uh, my friend was a rock and roll musician. Uh, he did local bands, toured around the East Coast, stuff like that. And uh, they had a great marriage until they got saved. They both became believers in Jesus, again, around 50, never really had any fights or conflict or anything like that. About a year or two after they became believers, they were fighting literally like that, had to separate them, right? Why is that? I mean, my friend told me off the cuff one day, he said, you know, I'm almost sorry I became a Christian because I used to never fight with my wife, and now we fight every single day. Why is that? Well, it's because what's happening is 30 years of pain and sorrow and misery and sin and destruction and rebellion was swept under the carpet in their lives. That's what happened. 
So all the stuff he did and all the stuff she did, and believe me, there's a lot of gory details there, they just ignored. They just shoved it under the carpet to have a happy marriage. And when they became believers, what happened? This stuff starts coming out, right? It starts seeing the light of day because they want to be healed. And you can't be healed when, if you have a wound, you can't fix the wound if there's all kinds of dirt and junk in there, right? It's got to be cleaned out. And cleaning out the wound is painful. And that's what it took. The interesting thing is that the Bible tells us that if we do not accept Christ in our lives, that there is no spiritual conflict and we merrily walk and march along throughout our lives pleasing ourselves until the day we pass from this world and we stand before God and then we have nothing to show for it because we were pleasing ourselves the whole time. But that when we become a believer, it's not just all peace, love, and harmony. It's not all sunshine and lollipops, but there is a battle that rages in our lives every day. A battle between the Spirit of God and the battle between our own brokenness that wants to do whatever we want to do, right? The interesting thing is that you are not neutral, okay? You are a partisan. You know why you're a partisan? You are a partisan because you chose to follow Jesus. And by doing that, you switch your allegiance from your brokenness to God. And when you did that, you are now on the side of the Holy Spirit. You are on the dog side, not the cat side anymore. You are not neutral. And that is why you cannot stand by the side and allow that battle to go on without fighting it yourself. You see, because the sinful nature, that brokenness in you is going to tell you to do what? When you have a bad day, whoosh, take off, right? And then the Holy Spirit's there thinking, duh, maybe I should have left the boot on, right? I can't, what's that comic's name? I can't do him. I can't do anybody, but uh, I really can't do him. All right, here's the thing. We'll be tempted to run for the fence. I mean, that's what happens. Anytime we have a bad day, anytime we have a struggle, we see the fence. We know that we, we, we think that that's going to be the direction of pleasure, that's going to be direction of relief to get away from the conflict, right? That if we go and medicate ourselves on some escapist or sinful uh, activity, that we're going to feel better. Why do we feel better? We feel better when we run for the fence because we're doing what? We're embracing our brokenness and we're putting down the Spirit of God in our lives. That's what we're doing. And so the conflict goes down. Why does the conflict go down? Because the Holy Spirit is just not fighting at that point because you're overwhelming it. What would it be like if you could take this as boxing or wrestling or whatever sport you want? Take football. We'll use football as an example. What would happen is, and I know Hollywood just made a movie about this, but what would happen if you had 11 guys on the field here, 11 guys on the field here, right, and one of the guys here took off their jersey ran over here to the sidelines, put on a fake jersey for this team, and ran over here and was a part of this team, right? That would seriously overbalance everything. That would be a big problem. And so you who have made a commitment to God and said, God, I want your spirit to be in my life to help me put down this brokenness. When you go from being a partisan to God and you run for the hills, right, then what you're doing is you're switching sides. And at that point in time, it feels good. Why? Because you're just allowing your brokenness to go back to where it was. You're relishing your brokenness, you're enjoying your brokenness, and you're working against the Spirit of God in your life. See, our freedom in Christ means that we can do whatever we want inside of God's fence for our lives. That's what it means. Anyone who tells you that there are, here are the rules that you have to follow has never read the Bible or has a different agenda for your life than God does, right? Our freedom in Christ allows us to be able to roam around in the fence however we want. Let me put it to you this way. Here we are. We become a believer, right? God plops us down here on the field. And that we start to, as we become further in our walk with God, we start to realize that there are some fences. Let me give you an example. If I were to go out, I'm a Christian, and I were to go out and murder someone, is that outside of God's plan for my life? Come on, everyone would know that's yes, right? We would know that's yes because studies show that in the Western culture, murder is considered the worst crime that a person could commit, right? So you ask everyone, should Jeffrey Dahmer go to the naughty place 
right? When he dies, everyone's going to say yes, right? No one's going to say no. Everyone's going to say yes. Even those people who don't believe in it are going to say yes, right? So the thing is, is that when we become a Christian, we become aware of these fences that are around us. Now, here's the thing. Within these fences, I think from the Bible very clearly that we can live however we want to, right? I mean, if I want to go to church in a suit and tie, I think that's in the fence. If I want to go to church in shorts and t-shirt, guess what? I think that's in the fence too. I don't see that breaking any major fence. Now, here's where it gets a little bit more, uh, more, little bit more problematic though. Because here's the thing. I use this example in the morning service because they were, they were uh, laughing and egging me on a little bit. So I'm going to use it here because I think it's good. When I was writing my book, um, one of my friends has an online mega church on the internet. Just to keep it simple, okay? And one of the, when they first opened it up, everyone has a picture or representation of themselves when they come in, right? And so some lady came in with a representation of herself that was basically naked, right? So I say... Shorts is in the fence, right? We all know that. Suit is in the fence. What about naked worshipers? Is that in the fence or outside the fence? <laughs> the thing is, is that my friend Bobby, he said, I, you know, my first reaction was, no, she can't come. But then, I, you know, I didn't know. I mean, where does this fit within God's will for our lives? Is this over the limit or is this in the limit, right? Now, I, we laugh because... Of course, there are people who try to make it more constrained. But here's the problem with the example I'm giving you. When I was growing up and, and as I went through life, I believed that we were here. And because when we think of fences, we think of fences sort of in the movie style, right? Where you've got a, you know, a pasture and there's a fence around the pasture, right? And there's horses or, or cattle or whatever inside there, right? But that's really the wrong idea for the fence that exists in us trying to understand God's limits. Um, I won't get too mathematical, but it's not a circle. It's more like a plane. So what happens is we are here, and when we become a believer, there are all these fences that God says, listen, this is outside of my plan for your life. But the thing is, is that if we just turn around and look where God is, there is a tremendous amount of freedom that exists there. There is so much freedom in God that we can never imagine it. But the world does what? tries to move those fences around in our lives so that we will be confused, thinking that a fence is not really a fence, or maybe it is, and I'm not really sure. But I'm not really sure where that fence is, and so we try to go this way when there's a ton of freedom that way. Let me give you an example. I went to a military college, as many of you know, and uh, I had an upperclassman who was like in charge of me. I was like his slave. That's probably the right word for it. Um, and um, it very much is the right word for it. And um, so besides doing his laundry, shining his shoes, just being at his every beck and call um, when I was a freshman, um, one of the things that he made me do, which I thought was very unusual, his name was Steve and he was a believer. Um, Steve said, listen, Douglas, I want you, actually he didn't call me by my first name, but he said, listen, I want you um, to go and get the rule book for the, for, your, for the college, for VMI. I want you to get the rule book and I want you to memorize the rule book. And VMI is a, a, it's called the Blue Book, and it's about this thick. It's about 300 pages worth of rules that is as boring as boring to be. You know, uh, 1.3.7.5, a cadet shall not, you know, be in, on this place at this time, blah, 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 right? So when I first heard that idea, I thought, no way, that's, you know, ridiculous. I'm not going to, I mean, that's, I mean, dumb, right? Why would I go and memorize a rule book, right? But I did it. I learned it, and I learned it backwards and forwards, and I realized that if I knew just this little amount of rules, this little amount of guidelines, that I had incredible freedom in everything else. In fact, I started to realize that all the guidelines, this is the military college, we'll relate it back to God in just a second, but I started realizing that all the guidelines were just sort of a game where there was tons of empty space and tons of holes that you could really do anything you wanted to. And in fact, when I became an upperclassman, lots of people would come to me and they would say, hey, I've got this problem, how do I do this? And I started becoming this like encyclopedia for how to get out of things and how to get around things, which was always not the best thing, right? Let's relate it to God, because here's the problem. The problem is, is that if we just take a few moments and understand where the fences are, where the limits are for God, then we have what? 
an infinite amount of freedom to do whatever we want to if we just understand where those simple, basic, big fences exist in our lives. In fact, I guarantee you that we will find much more freedom if we turn and face God and go in His direction because there are no fences in His direction. There are no restrictions. There are no barriers. There is just complete freedom. But when we go the other way, when we try to run in the other direction, we encounter all kinds of fences, and we encounter fences where we're not even sure where they're at. We feel the fence in area to be small, but really it's infinitely open-ended on the side that seems boring to our world, right? Hey, guess what? You have the freedom to pray anytime you want to. No, well, Rex, okay. In today's world, amen is not really the right answer. People are like, well, I don't care. <laughs> okay. <laughs> boring. I mean, that's what people would say, right? But that's an infinite amount of freedom that we have, Right? The things that seem boring to the world, we have an infinite amount of freedom. It's just those things that seem exciting because of culture that there are fences. Not even that many fences, but there are fences there. Third idea, real quickly, is that we must steer clear of the tallest fences. See, here's what Paul is saying here. He says, look, These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions, right? Because you're, 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 you're a partisan. You're not neutral. You can't wake up. Here's, uh, I didn't mention this, but this is what happens. You cannot wake up one morning and decide that you're going to just follow God's plan today. You can't do it. You can't wake up in the morning and say, hey, I got the good angel on one shoulder and I got the little devil angel on the other soldier, shoulder. I'm going to just decide between the two and everything's going to be hunky-dory from that point. No. The problem is, is, as the Bible says, is that you are not free to carry out your own, equal, your own good intentions. You have to follow God's plan. Otherwise, you will be constantly derailed by your own brokenness and your own sinfulness. And then it goes on. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear, right? And so the thing is, then Paul gives a list of things, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these, right? It's these tall fences that Paul is trying to encourage us to avoid. Now, as I mentioned earlier, we in the church have a really bad habit of trying to categorize these and say, okay, let's see. Selfish ambition. Kevin Jones, stand up. Come down the aisle. That's you, my brother. Right? That's what we say. Now, of course it's not. I'm just picking him out randomly. But we do that, right? And we say, okay, well, I must have A. You must have B. No, no, no. These are just some fences that exist there. There are others. You may not face some of these fences. Other people may fit, face a lot of these fences. These are just fences that we face, that we may face in our day-to-day -day trials. The key is we've got to steer clear of the tallest fences. Again, is murder a fence? If we're roaming around and we decide to murder somebody, is that outside of God's plan for our lives? Have we crossed the fence there? Yes, we would all agree to that, right? You guys needed Starbucks more than me this morning. Okay, if, if you didn't learn anything else this morning, murder is wrong, okay? Can we, okay, good, all right. If we cross that fence, right, we know that we are outside of God's will and what? As it says, let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God, right? And so the thing is, Paul says, you've got to avoid a lifestyle of these super tall fences. Otherwise, you're going to get yourself into a heap of trouble. Some fences, if we escape from, will kill us. Now, I'm not going to debate the issue sometimes churches get into. I'll explain why in a minute. Because it's a pointless debate. But the Bible says that do not cross some of these fences because they are so big that they will really destroy and damage our lives. If we go and murder somebody, that's a really big fence, right? It's going to wreck our entire lives. So we just don't do it, right? Here's the problem that comes in. Let me see if I've got notes on this. Oh, okay. The Bible says some fences, like Paul lists here, are clear or obvious. 
But the Greek culture that Paul wrote in was just as bad as Hollywood or whatever sinful culture that you want to pick. See, here's the interesting thing. I read this and reread this and reread this and reread this. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. But here's the problem. For many of us, it's not clear. And so why does the Bible say that? Well, before we ask why the Bible says that, let's talk about this non-lack of clarity. My coworkers having a party. I can go. My wife's not going to go. There's going to be a lot of drinking, lots of stuff going on, maybe some other stuff. Should I go? Should I not go? Well, it's not clear or obvious. Let me give it to you another way. If I lived in the ancient world and I beat my wife, would culture have a problem with that? Not in many ancient cultures. That was my right as a husband. But we would see that as being what? Would that be bad to you? Yes, that would be bad. Why is it that one culture says, that's not really a fence, don't worry about it. But our culture today says, oh no, that's a horrible fence, you should go to jail for that. If tomorrow, if the state of California said, it is now legal to murder people, should we go and murder people? What about your boss? Are you sure? You want to murder your boss? If you're a boss here, may God have mercy on your soul. <clears throat> I'm a boss, so again, Lord, mercy, please, right? Why is it that culture seems to move the fences around? I mean, let's think about it. If California really did allow murder, would murder go up? Would the number of murders go up? Well, sure, right? And within a few generations, murder would be seen as being what? Okay, normal, right? So when we encounter in Scripture, if it says, thou shalt not kill, if you wouldn't use the old-fashioned King James Version, right? Thou shalt not murder, right? We're like, whoa, wait a minute. God's telling us to do something I have the freedom to do. But that freedom is what? A myth granted to us by culture. Which is why I put that great permissive dude up in the sky at the beginning, right? Because our temptation as Christians is to look to culture to decide what is right and what is wrong in our lives. But culture will lie to us every time. Because if I lived 2,000 years ago... Um, in different parts of the world, Persia, Greece, uh, probably Rome as well. If I beat my wife, that's okay. It'd be okay. No problem there. It'd be fine. But is that God's will for my life? Or is that a big, tall fence that I should avoid? It's a big, tall fence that I should avoid, shouldn't it? It is. Absolutely. That's sinful. But our culture... <laughs> See, here's the thing. Uh, I mean, I, I, I really wrestled this because I wanted to do this one PG-13 R this series, but I, I, I can't. I know I can't. Um, but if I go to Vegas this weekend with someone who's not my wife, culture's not going to have a problem with it, are they? No, not you, because church culture, that's different. You guys will hoist me by my petard, by the, uh, the flagpole and flay me and make sure that I, you know, I uh, uh, adhere to some perfect standard that you have for pastors. Well, not BVC. <laughs> But, uh, but right. Um, but so the thing is, is that, um, so the thing is, though, if I did that, if I worked at IBM, I worked at Cisco, and I did that, culture would be like, eh, it's no big deal, you know, it's just having a little fun on the side, right? But is that a fence that we as Christians could cross? I think no. I think very clearly no. And in fact, so when we ask this question, well, no, let me just say this. Here's the problem. The problem is, is that when we're plopped, when we become a Christian, we're plopped down in the field, and we, we start to sense that there are fences, right? And then we look back, and we know that there's unlimited, fence, uh, unlimited freedom here to range and roam as however we want to with God. There's these fences. The problem is culture moves the fences all the time to confuse us, right? We're just walking along happy as can be, having a mistress and a wife at the same time, and boom, we become a Christian and we hit this fence and we're like, wait a minute, there's a fence there? I can't do that? What's wrong with that, right? I have a friend of mine who was very active in the homosexual community, right? And he started going to church and he became a believer. And after about six months in the church, he woke up one morning and he thought, you know, I wonder if being actively involved in a homosexual lifestyle is what God wants for me. Is that the best he wants for me? 
You know, culture had lied to him for so long that he didn't know. And so he had to go figure it out. And he realized, this is not what God wants for me. Guess what came in? Was it peace, love, and harmony? Conflict, right? Because he had to, he suddenly was aware that he was crossed this horrible electric fence, you know, and he needed to get back on the other side because he needed to get back with God. But yet, there was a struggle because culture had lied to him and told him it was okay. The Bible says that it's clear and obvious, and I can only guess because no commentator, no, no theologian is clear on what Paul means here, but I will make my guess, which is this. If you go and you look in the mirror and with the Holy Spirit in your life and you look in the mirror and say, is it right for me to have an affair? Then the clear and obvious answer that has to come back because the Holy Spirit is living inside of you, filtered through your conscience and who you are, is that no. In other words, there are going to be little fences that we are still figuring out. I mean, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you know that you're much more aware of your sinfulness than you were when you first became a Christian, right? I mean, you're, you're like me, I'm thinking, should I speed now? You know, and that's always an issue. Should I speed or should I not speed? Well, when I first became a Christian, I didn't think of speeding as a sin, right? I just, I mean, those numbers don't mean anything. Just drive as fast as you want, right? Now, part of that's age, I know. But now I feel like, okay, how, you know, I really should obey the law because I really want people to know that I'm trying to be a, a follower of Jesus, right? But that's like a little fence, right? Because some of us are not even, it's not even on the radar, right? And the more we know God, the more we become aware of these little fences that exist there. But the problem, the one that will get you is the big fence. That's the one that will get you. And that's the reason why Paul includes these things. I mean, he says, listen, if you go around and you're involved in these sorts of things, these are the ones that are going to get you. Idolatry, anger, drunkenness, fighting, dissension, division. These are the things, these are the big fences that will kill you and will keep you away from God and will keep you from way away from the life that he wants for you. Now, I'm going to mention this for those of you who've been in church. If you've been in church for a while, you know there's a debate over which fish fences Christians can cross, if any, and still have a relationship with God. But you know what? I don't care about that debate. You know why? I'll tell you why. Because like most of these type of inner church arguments, they miss the whole point entirely. The point is not to go jumping fences to begin with. Why do we debate in churches what fences are? Can, can I jump this one and still be okay? Who cares? Just avoid all the taller fences. Desperately avoid them desperately avoid them because Paul says those are the ones that will kill us and we will not inherit the kingdom of God if we are in that lifestyle people say well pastor but I, I you know it says sexual immorality here but I'm a Christian so I can go and I can have sex however I want to right dude I ain't gonna touch that I don't know I'm not gonna tell you all I'm gonna tell you is the Bible says that anyone living that sort of lifestyle will not inherit the kingdom of God so just don't do it there's a few things, just don't do it. It's just easier that way, to just not to do it. As Christians, some of us look for the line. They say, well, how close can I get, Pastor, and still be okay with God? How close can I get? You know what? Don't worry about that. You've got tons of freedom back here. You can pray as much as you want. It's all good. Boring. But that boring is from our culture. We've been taught that that's boring, right? Rather than perhaps the truth of what it is. Real quickly here. How do we know what is offense and what is okay? Well, we're going to talk more about that next week. Basically today I just wanted to give you some big picture ideas, some tall boundaries that exist, right? Paul has a list of them here. These tall boundaries exist to keep you in a reasonable healthy area so that you can pursue God and live life to its fullest. You cannot pursue God and live life to its fullest if you're out murdering people. I promise you. I'm not a murderer, but I know that to be true. Okay? And when you get involved in these big fences and you're trying to jump them or skirt around them or run around them or sneak under them, all you're doing is putting yourself in jeopardy rather than enjoying the freedom that God has for you to live your life 
the way he desires. Why he desires instead of you desire? Because his plan is a lot better than your plan. You wake up in the morning and your plan is, how much longer can I sleep before I will be late and get a demerit at work, right? God's plan is, what can you do today to heal yourself and other people? What can you do today to make your world a better place? And I don't mean like a random act of kindness sort of stuff, but really see somebody's life change, right? That's what God's plan is, for your life to be better than it ever was before. But we can't do that if we are running at those tall, big fences. Let's pray. With all heads bowed, all eyes closed, maybe you're here this morning, and maybe you've never, you, you've never committed your life to Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning, you've never committed your life to Jesus, and you're listening, and you're saying, Pastor, I don't, you know, I don't really understand this, but I know that I don't want to be messed up in these fences anymore. I want to know God. I want to have a relationship with Him. I want to know that He has forgiven me of everything I've ever done wrong. Just lift up your hand. Anyone for the first time this morning that says, I want to know God for the first time, just lift up your hand. Anyone here this morning, first time? All right, then for the rest of us here, by not lifting up your hand, then you're saying either you're number one, you're, you're waiting, you're not sure, or for a lot of us here today, you're saying, you know what, God, I've made this decision. Now for you, Father, I just pray for all of us here in that situation, Lord, that we would move away from those fences, Father, that we would not flirt with them, that we would not touch with them, that we would not play with them, Father, but that we would just enjoy the great, huge area that you've created away from those fences, Father. Lord, I pray for all of us that we would move away from that sinfulness, that brokenness in our lives, that we would enjoy great relationship with you rather than crossing those boundaries. Father, I pray that, Lord, we, as we grow in faith, that we would be able to see those boundaries more clearly. We know culture is going to lie to us, that culture is going to confuse us, that culture is going to change things, so we're not really sure where the fences are. So we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives to guide us in the, in the right direction. Father, we pray for each person here this morning that they would take hold of the Holy Spirit, Lord, and that they would know what is the right direction to go in, where are the limits, so that they can live a happy and healthy life following you all their days, a productive life for the kingdom. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.